Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. It's good to have you at Crosswinds as we uh, go ahead and start to study God's Word this morning. Last week, we took a little break from uh, 1 Timothy to have a Crosswinds conversation about sort of our vision and what we're trying to do with opening multiple campuses and other churches in our region to reach our region for Jesus Christ. Today, we return to our study in 1 Timothy. You know, there's a trend nowadays away from people attending local churches. The local church isn't as important as it used to be. And there's a variety of reasons for that. One is, well, first of all, we're much more of a mobile society than we ever used to be. And we've studied this actually at Crosswinds, that we're gone just as a congregation, and many congregations are the same, we're just gone a lot of weekends, going to visit friends and going to visit family. And when you're out of town, it's sometimes hard to find a church to attend on Sunday. It doesn't seem like a natural thing to do. So oftentimes people just don't attend. Another reason why uh, people don't attend a local church on the weekends is, quite honestly, on Sunday mornings, people are often exhausted. Anybody there? Busy week, you feel like Sunday morning, is that's my one chance to sleep in, my chance to get rejuvenated. And so people are like, you know, maybe I'm just not going to go to church this Sunday. In fact, this has given a whole a rise to a whole variety of denominations out there. Uh, there is the Pillow Presbyterians, and of course the Mattress Mennonites, and then there's the Bedside Baptists, you know, because that's the favorite church to go to when you're just tired and exhausted. Now, but on a more serious note, uh, another reason that people don't uh, attend a local church as regularly on the weekends as they did in previous years is sometimes people have been hurt by a local church. You know, they've gone there for a while and maybe the pastor said something they disagree with or maybe they developed some friends and the friends said or did something that they found really hurtful. So they stay away. They just avoid going to the local church on the weekend. I follow Christ, but his church, well, that's another thing. Maybe I'm not going to be there. Another reason why people oftentimes stay away from a local church simply is the use of technology. And what do I mean by that? Uh, we have, through the Internet, access to what are some of the best preachers and best worship teams in the entire nation that can come to us in a moment's notice just by pressing a button on the smartphone. And people say, you know, I have all that available to me. Why should I bother to go to a local church? Sometimes people will say, well, you know, why even go to my local church? Because they have live streaming. Well, that's something that we offer, by the way, and some people will say, I can just stay in my kitchen in the comfort of my pajamas, and I can attend church virtually by just pressing the play button. And why get up? I mean, why uh, drive, drive to church? Why spend the gas to even go there? And the question we're going to look at this morning is, does the local church really matter? I mean, is it still important that we as Christians 
take the time and take the energy to drive to church and physically get together and be with one another. Work and technology and busyness sort of drift us away where there's absolutely no consequences to doing that. That is what we're going to look at this morning. Now, as we begin to put our finger back in the book of 1 Timothy, we find ourselves as it is literally in the hinge of the book, right in the binding of the book. And in these middle two or three verses we are going to look at this morning, Paul gives us the purpose of this entire letter, why he wrote this letter of 1 Timothy uh, to Timothy, and what he essentially wants this whole letter to do. And what he's going to do, he's going to give us the purpose of the local church. And I'll just give you a spoiler alert here. I'm just going to give you the whole purpose of 1 Timothy. And this is what he's trying to communicate. The local church matters because it is God's chosen way to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. Let me say that again. The local church matters because it is God's chosen way to bring the hope of Jesus to the world. This is why last week when we had our Crosswinds conversation and we talked about our vision, and our vision is that we would open more local churches in the uh, surrounding cities and communities around Spirit Lake. And we're looking at doing that not exclusively probably, but primarily by multi-siting. And why do we want more local churches in local communities? Because the church is God's chosen way of reaching people. A church begins in a city, and then that church helps to reach that city. That's the way God has chosen to do that, and why local churches are so incredibly important. Now, before we actually uh, study this text, since the text is rather short, I'm going to read for you the verses that we are going to examine this morning, and there are only uh, just a few. It's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16, and then we'll dive right in. Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. For he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Now as we study these verses, I'm going to tell you that they sort of divide out into answers of three questions. And here are the questions they answer. The first part answers this question, why the local church matters. The second part will answer this, um, what must the local church believe? And the third part will answer this, how must members of the local church behave? So let's go ahead and dive right in. First of all, why does the local church matter? And it comes out of this section of Scripture in verse 15. If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. One of the questions that I occasionally hear from people is this. Uh, can I be a Christian and not go to church? And the answer is a definite 
yes and no. Here's what we mean. Can you be a Christian and not go to church? Of course you can be a Christian and not go to church. Because being a Christian is someone who has recognized your sin. And you have confessed your sin to God. And you've repented of your sin to God. And you've trusted in Jesus Christ to save you from your sin. I mean, the thief on the cross that died next to Jesus, he didn't go to church. And yet, when he placed his faith in Jesus, Jesus said to him, Today you will be with me in paradise. So do we have to go to church to be a Christian? No. But if you're a Christian who doesn't want much to do with church, that's rather strange. At the very least, it means you're living in disobedience. At the most, it may mean you're living in open and outright sin. I don't know if you understand this, but God has not created us to be lone rangers. He's not created us to be Christians who live in isolations. He's created us to be connected to one another. And we're designed to be in relationship with one another. In fact, let me give you a, a couple things right before we dive in with this. You know, when God saved us, He gifted us, the Bible says. And He gave each one of us at least one spiritual gift. That spiritual gifts are not there to edify us. They are given to us to enable us to serve others, to serve other Christians in the church. Other Christians need our gifts, and we need to be served by other Christians with their gifts. In fact, Paul describes uh, the, the church as like a body. We're not all eyes. We're not all feet. We're not all hands. We're designed and created to be connected together to function as one body. And when people ignore being part of a local church, it's like a foot saying, I can make it on my own. I can't see where I'm going. You know, I can't think about where I'm going. I can't hear where I'm going. I'm a foot. I can make it on my own. That's not the way God has created us. Not the way he has built us and has saved us. He saved us to be in a relationship with one another. So, sometimes I like to think of it this way. As a Christian, each one of us is a piece of a puzzle. Now, if you can think about this, a piece of a puzzle, um, it's good, but it's created and shaped to be connected to another piece of the puzzle. And it's only when the puzzle pieces come together that the picture is painted. So this is why we need to be part of a local church. We're created to be connected. We're a, each a piece of the puzzle. And it's when we come together that we can be who God has designed us to be and created us to be. And we use our gifts to serve one another and strengthen one another in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul in this section is actually going to give us three additional reasons of why it's so important that we uh, stay connected to a local church. The first one is this, that the local church is God's family. It's just God's family. He says this, if I'm delayed, you, one would know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The term household here is not referring to a physical structure as in a building. It is referring to a relational structure 
That means a family. The local church is a gathering of the family. It's a gathering of the Christian family. And when you understand that, uh, that we are designed to be a family and we're to be together, then all of a sudden there's a whole number of implications that come about from being a family. Like, number one, a family gives me encouragement and support. Isn't that true? Isn't that what happens in your local family? Isn't it important that mom and dad and the kids, you eat together? Isn't it important you spend time around the dinner table together and you stay connected together because you support one another? You encourage one another. You encourage your kids and your kids encourage you. You need those kind of family connections just as you go through life. And just as you need those um, biological family connections, we need those spiritual family connections. That when we get together with our local church family on the weekends and throughout the week, isn't it true that we find support isn't it true we find encouragement in hard times when a brother or sister in Christ puts their arm around us? Or when we're just going through a really difficult time and all of a sudden people from the church family bring us meals? Because we're family. We need that kind of support and encouragement from one another. And uh, I like the way he says it here in a little bit later in 1 Timothy. In fact, we're to treat church members like family. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. It's a family term. Younger men as brothers, family term. Older women as mothers and younger women as sisters. You know, treat your church family like their blood relatives. Another observation. A family provides help in time of need. Isn't that true? Don't we sacrifice for our kids? If your kid calls you up and says, I forgot my lunch, what are you going to do? You're going to take time from work to make sure they have something to eat. You help your kids when it comes to their sports. You help them when it comes to the fact they need a ride someplace. And it's not just our biological family that we are to help in time of need, but it's our church family that we're to help in time of need because we're all a family together. Also, a family goes out of its way to keep unity. One of the things I find that is probably most deeply disturbing is when you have a biological family that breaks apart. Maybe you've seen this happen before, but maybe a son or a daughter has become frustrated with their parents and they walk away and they don't call for weeks for months, maybe for years, and you know that the mom and dad, their heart is broken because to be separated from their children or their child is so painful because you do anything to keep unity in a family, don't you? You make it work. You press through the difficulties so you stay connected to one another because you're family. And that's the same way it works in a church family. In a church family, there's times when we have disagreements with one another. But we don't walk away, because this isn't just a church you attend. This is a family that you're a part of. 
And you do the hard work and the effort of making sure we can work through those differences and stay connected together. It's part of the implication of being a family. Last uh, point I want to make on this is because we're a family, that means we have one another's back. When my, uh, as many of you know that we have three kids, David who's in college right now, Daniel who's in high school, and Deanna who's in grade school. But as David and Daniel were starting to go to school, uh, where we used to live in Michigan, there were some bullies in the class, and sometimes these kids would start to pick on Daniel. And so what I always told David is, you say this when they pick on Daniel. You pick on my brother, you pick on me. I've got your back. We're family. No matter what comes your, our way, we stick together. And that's not just true of our biological family, that we do whatever we have to to get the, the back of, cover the back of a biological family, but it's true for us as a church family. When hard times come our way, hey, if you're in crosswinds, we've got your back. You need help when it comes time to move. Hey, we'll be there for you. We've got your back. When there's a problem in your home, you need somebody there to just uh, list, talk to you and somebody to work things through. We've got your back because we're family. Now, let me just mention something that I just want to challenge each one of us when it comes to our thinking about how we attend church on weekends. This is what often happens. We come late and we leave early and we don't often talk to many people. That's because we're viewing weekend service like it's a movie. Weekend service is not a movie. It's a family gathering. And just as if you went to a family reunion and you only stayed long enough to eat the potato salad and then run, and that would be sort of weird, in the same way, bolting out the doors after service is sort of weird because we need to be, take the opportunity to talk to one another around a coffee bar, to, to, to build relationships with one another, take our family members to lunch and get to know each other. And it's in those relational webs when we get to know each other that we can find out where people are hurting and we can find out how we can be helping. And we can have your back. So one of my challenges is, hey, don't run out the door, but try and stay for a while and get connected. So the first thing we learn about the church and why the local church is so incredibly important is because it's our family. It's our family gathering. The second thing we learn is this. The local church is where God dwells. He says this, which is the church of the living God. Literally, he says, the local church is the place where God's presence dwells in a special way. Many of us think, well, you know, I know the Holy Spirit comes into my heart. He comes into my life. And that's where God's presence dwells. Is that true? Yes, it is very true that God dwells in our heart when we've trusted in Jesus Christ and we're born again. But all, God also dwells amongst the assembled, gathered presence of his people in the church in a special way. Look what Paul says in the book of Ephesians, which incidentally is written to the same city of Ephesus as 1 Timothy. He says, in him you are being built together 
into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That when God's people assemble together, God's presence is there in a special way. Now, in the Old Testament times, God's presence dwelled at first in the tabernacle and then in the, the temple. And then in 70 AD, the, the temple was destroyed and never rebuilt. Where does God's presence dwell? Well, number one, it now dwells within us through the Holy Spirit, but it also dwells in a special way in the assembly of God's people in the church. Let me explain it to you this way. This morning as we sung in worship, did you feel God, God's presence special? Did you feel like there was something going on in the corporate worship this morning that would not take place if you were at home with earbuds in listening to your iPhone? That's God's presence dwelling among God's people. And as we sing together, you can almost feel how God is knitting us together and lifting us together. When it comes to the, the preaching and teaching of God's Word, do you find God working in your life in a different way when we study God's Word corporately than when you study it on your own personally? I'm not saying that personal study and personal worship is not important. Of course they are. But God works in a different way when we study the Word as a church family than as he, when we study the Word individually. So, is it good to download podcasts and to listen to worship music? Yes, it's very good to do that. But understand, none of that can replace the local church. What happens in the local church is we are family. We find a support and encouragement and cover one another's need. What happens in the local church is God's presence dwells among us and works in us in a way when we assemble physically together that does not happen when we're just on our own. And number three, the local church is to be the pillar and the buttress of the truth. He says this. Skip the text under there because I forgot to change it. That was a mistake on my part. <laughs> Let me just teach it from here. Paul is using some very special imagery that the Ephesians would understand that we would not necessarily understand when he talks about being a pillar and a buttress of the truth. If you were around in the first week of our study, you remember that in the city of Ephesus, where this letter was written to, there was the temple of Artemis and the Artemisian. This was a humongous temple. It was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. It was monstrous in size. It dominated the skyline like a skyscraper in this city. And what really was prominent on this temple were its pillars. Do you remember? It had 127 pillars on the outside. Every single one of them solid marble. Everyone was said to be a gift from a king. They were 65 feet tall, 6 feet wide, and many of them were studded with jewels. And what's interesting is these pillars held up a massive roof. They provided great vertical strength, and they made the temple of Artemis just dominate the city, much like a skyscraper does 
in the center, center of New York or, or Chicago. But while the pillars provided vertical strength, there was something that kept it moving, kept it from moving side to side, and those were the buttresses. The buttresses gave it a horizontal strength. So no matter what kind of gale force winds came in from the ocean, no matter what kind of shaking took place in the earth, the Artemisium stood strong and never moved because of its pillars and its buttresses. And Paul says that the church in society matters because it is to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. What does he mean by this? The church is what proclaims the truth, and the church is what preserves the truth in society. Just as the pillars are what sort of proclaimed the presence of the Artemisium, the church is what proclaims the truth about Jesus Christ in the world for all to see. If people are going to see uh, what it looks like to, for Christians to live together and what it looks like for Christians to worship, they will see it in the church. Not only does the church proclaim the truth, but we preserve the truth. That means that the idea is we are to hold on to the truth and not let it drift away. If you remember earlier in the book of 1 Timothy, we learned that we had some elders gone wild who are trying to move people away from Jesus Christ. Paul's point is, no, the church is to preserve the truth and to hold on to Jesus Christ. The interesting thought is, the temple of Artemis, it proclaimed Artemis, and it preserved Artemis, but Artemis is not the truth. Artemis is a false deity. All of the money, all of the effort, all of the time put in into her worship and her greatness is for nothing because she doesn't exist. But as Christians in the church, we proclaim and we preserve the truth. And it really matters. It's really important. So, why does the church matter? The local church matters because we pro proclaim and preserve the truth, because we're a family and we need those relationships, and because this is the place where God's presence dwells in a special way. Paul continues, what must this, a local church believe? He says this in verse 16, talking about Jesus Christ. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. The he, incidentally, here is clearly referring to Jesus Christ. He is the truth we must proclaim and preserve. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And what Paul does here is he takes six lines from an early church hymn that talk about the essential truths of Jesus Christ, and he gives them to us. This is what we must proclaim, this is what we must preserve, and this is what we must believe. And here is what they are as I break them apart. Number one, the church proclaims and preserves that Christmas and Easter are historical facts. Jesus, he says, was manifested in the flesh and vindicated by the Spirit. Manifested, by the way, it doesn't mean to bring into existence. 
in Greek, manifest something, was to take something invisible and to make it visible. Look what it says about Jesus Christ in Philippians chapter 2, 6 through 7. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ has always existed, and then when it came to the womb of Mary, he humbled himself and fused himself permanently and irrevocably with a human body forever. So we could see God and know God in the flesh through Jesus. But Jesus, when he did this, did not in any way lose any of his attributes of divinity but he merely chose to limit the free exercise of some of his godhood. He, for, and by the way, look at this. And the, the scriptures are very clear that he did not lose anything of his divinity because in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, for in him, that is in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So what do we preserve and proclaim? That Christmas is really true. That God took on flesh forever and was born among us. The other thing we must proclaim and preserve is that Easter is really true as well. It says he was vindicated by the Spirit. This is actually sort of a, a quote because it is the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. The point is that the Holy Spirit is the one who raised Christ from the dead. We proclaim and preserve that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, is really God, and that Jesus really rose from the dead after he had paid for our sins. The next thing that we proclaim and preserve is the work of Jesus was for the entire world and for the universe. He says this, He was seen by angels and proclaimed among the nations. As you look through Christ's life, you see angels involved numerous times in his life. Angels were there celebrating his, at his birth. Angels were strengthening him before his death. Angels were in the empty tomb. Angels were there after he ascended back to heaven. They're all over the place. Why is it important to know that angels are involved in Christ's life? And here's why. Because what Jesus Christ did did not just have earthly significance, but it has cosmic significance for all of the universe and all angelic beings. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, that's talking about Jesus Christ, God the Father says, let all God's angels worship him. Cosmic significance of Jesus. Not only that, but there's worldwide significance to Jesus coming. Look what the scriptures say here. But he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. The only way for anyone to be saved 
It doesn't matter if they're in Uganda. It doesn't matter if they're in South America. It doesn't matter if they're in Papua New Guinea. It doesn't matter where they are in the world. The only way is through Jesus Christ. His birth, death, and resurrection has worldwide significance and cosmic significance is what we um, teach and proclaim. In fact, look what it says in Revelations 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood, what? You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The third thing that we have to hold on to in the way of truth is this. The proper response to Jesus is belief and worship. Those are the only proper responses to him. Where it says he is believed on in the world and he's taken up into glory. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached the, the first sermon, as it were, and gave the gospel invitation and 3,000 people believed and placed their faith in Christ. That's the proper response. And that's the proper response today and the only acceptable response since then. And in heaven, what is the proper response to Jesus? Worship. Worship. That's the proper response. So, we know why the local church matters. We've also learned what the local church must believe. And lastly, for a few moments here, why is it important how members of the local church behave? Here's what Paul says this. I am writing to you so that one may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. What we believe about Jesus Christ should affect the way we behave in our everyday lives with one another and in the world. In fact, when we studied the qualifications for elders and deacons a few weeks ago, did you notice that those qualifications deal with how elders and deacons behave? Not just what elders and deacons believe. Now, I know for some of you right now, when I talk about the importance of how we behave and how we live for Jesus Christ, and the fact of how we live should bring honor to Christ, there is a huge weight that just landed on your shoulders. Because you're saying, Pastor, I, I know what to believe. The things that you mentioned about what a church must believe, I, I believe those. But I struggle when it comes to my sin. I keep failing again and again. I know my life should bring honor to Christ through holiness and purity, but man, I just don't have it under control. Let me give you some encouragement. Here's the first encouraging thought I have to give you. First of all, how we respond after we sin is just as important as walking away from sin. How we respond after we sin is just as important as walking away from sin. After we sin, as Christians, what do we do? Do we just shrug our shoulders and go on our merry way? Or does the conviction of the Holy Spirit bring brokenness in our heart? Do we have repentance for what we've done? Do we go out of our way 
to talk to the people we sinned against and to try and make things right. Do we have the courage, courage to confess and say, I was wrong, I screwed up, I sinned against you, I need your forgiveness? Do we seek that forgiveness? Let me tell you that the way a Christian handles their sin is very different from the way the world handles their sin. All of us are going to sin, but we can honor the name of Christ after we sin in the way we handle it. By being broken, seeking forgiveness, going out of our way to make things right and bringing honor to Jesus' name that way. The second thing I want to tell you is this. The secret of a godly life, it's found in Jesus, not in myself. The secret of a godly life is found in Jesus, not in myself. Let me explain to you. Paul says, great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. This is a little cloaked, but let me explain. This is so cool. He says, great indeed, we confess. Many scholars note that these words, great indeed, are the same words that were used against Paul in the book of Acts. Do you remember this in the very first week? When Paul preached to the Ephesians and there was a big turning to God and uh, the sales, the souvenir shop of the Artemisium went down and Demetrius, the silversmith, caused a huge uprising and he led everybody into the Artemisium where for hours on end they chanted at the top of their lungs, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And Paul is responding here, You know what's great? It's not Artemis of the Ephesians. It's the mystery of God that produces godliness. Now you're still saying, well, I still don't get it. In Greek, the term mystery doesn't mean something unknown yet to be discovered. It means something that was hidden that is now revealed. He is saying great is Jesus Christ. Because he has now been revealed, and he is what produces godliness in our lives. My friends, it matters how we behave, because it matters what we believe. But how we behave is not something that we have to rest on our shoulders and work up from inside of ourselves. But as we follow Jesus Christ, as we read his word, as we confess our sin, as we talk with him in prayer, as we gather in the assembled church, God changes our very hearts, he changes our very lives, and makes us godly like him. So the change in our life, the credit never goes to us. Where does it go? To Jesus Christ. That's why the local church matters. The local church matters. It's because we proclaim Jesus Christ, who is the only hope in this world and the only one who can change your life and mine. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being so great. First, I want to thank you that you're the one who produces godliness in our lives. You're the one that changes the desires of our heart, and you break the grip of sin as we walk with you and we follow you. Jesus, thank you also for the local church where you've given us a family where we can find support and encouragement. 
Thank you for the local church where you dwell in a special way. As we, your word is taught and your worship is uh, sung by your people, we can feel that. And thank you for the local church being the pillar and the, pres and the buttress, the uh, proclamation and the preservation of the truth in a community and in this world. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.